0: This morning we are gathered to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're gathered to celebrate that on a Friday night that he was crucified on a Roman cross and paid the penalty that my sin deserved and paid the penalty that your sin deserved. According to Harold Honor in his book, The Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ, today is no ordinary Easter day. In fact, having studied Hebrew history, Greek history, and Latin history, Dr. Hohner suggests, that, as best we can guess, that Christ was probably crucified on April 3rd of the year 33, and he rose from the grave on April 5th of that same year. That would mark this the 1982nd anniversary of his death. Whether that's an accurate accounting or not is inconsequential. The reality is that your sin was paid for at the cross. My sin was paid for at the cross by Jesus Christ who willingly submitted himself to pay for our sin and to rise on the third day. If you open up your Bibles, we're going to spend some time in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. If you've got your own, awesome. If you don't, there's a Red Pew Bible in front of you will be on page 961. If you don't own it, you're welcome to keep it. It could be our gift to you this morning. This is what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul, Paul writes to these Corinthian believers, and he says, I want to remind you of the gospel. It's of incredible importance this morning that we remind you of the gospel. This gospel that the Corinthians had, had heard preached, this gospel that they had received, they had believed, this gospel in which they stood on and counted as the foundation of their life, and the gospel by which they found their salvation. Then he continues to reiterate the gospel so that there could be no misunderstanding of what he's talking about. In verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance, as of the most important thing I could tell you. And friends, there is no more important thing this morning or any other morning for us to consider than the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what he gave. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now, a quick note would tell you we watched accordance with the scriptures twice in that section, meaning God was in absolute total control of this whole process. Both his death was predicted in the Old Testament and his rising. God was absolutely and totally control of this moment, and as was Jesus. Jesus died on a Roman cross for our sins, and that's why we celebrate Good Friday, the reality that our sin was paid for, and yet it continues to tell us that he was buried. It's important for us to note that he was buried because you buried dead people. So let's consider that for a moment. If you'll flip with me to John 19. I have a page number. 906. John 19, this is John's account. So since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. This is the Jews demanding that Pilate take both of the uh, thieves on either side of Jesus and break their legs, basically to expediate their death. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first. And of the other who had been crucified with him. And when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, And at once came out blood and water. Now just for a minute, I want you to think about this. Because as you'll consider these words in the book of John, this isn't John considering Jesus dead. This is a Roman soldier considering Jesus dead. And that's an entirely different connotation. Because if you have a Roman soldier, you have a man whose profession it is, is to end people's life. Chances are, this is not his first crucifixion. So when a Roman soldier looks up at a guy and says he's dead, there's a good chance he's dead. Because a professional said he was. Now this professional recognizes if he makes mistakes, there's a penalty to be paid. And he doesn't want to pay the penalty. So the professional at killing people picks up a spear. And he takes the spear and he shoves it up Jesus' ribs cage, probably piercing his heart. It says that blood and water spilled out. Which again points to the reality of him being dead. And if it wouldn't, it certainly would have killed him. This Roman soldier could testify that he was dead. It's an important fact for us to know that even while this gospel was written, this soldier still roamed the earth, could be found, could still testify that he was dead. Why that becomes important is for resurrection to occur, one must be dead. Paul continues on to tell us when describing that he would die for our sins, that his death was testifiable. And that the penalty we deserve for our sins was completely paid for by Jesus Christ. He continued to say in verse 4, He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He was raised up and he was resurrected. In verse 5, and. And this is a big and. And that he appeared to Cephas, also Peter. They appeared to twelve And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom were still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. See, friends, why this is significant is that you've got a Roman soldier who could testify to his death, a guy whose expertise was killing people. Now you've got a group of people who could testify to his life. It starts with Peter. And it starts with the disciples. And these are kind of easy examples for us to look back to. Of course, they're going to testify to his life. Of course, they would. But then he notes, and 500 other brothers. I want you to consider that for a moment. If you're going to lie about somebody dying and being resurrected, this would be a really great detail to leave out. If you want to make a list of witnesses, 500 additional people, I would skip. But he actually takes it to the next level because it's not just 500 who saw him, it's 500, most of whom are still alive. That suggests that when John writes this, there's still 200, 300 people who watched Jesus walk the earth after having been testified that he died. Do you start to see the historical significance of the reality that there were people walking around who literally could testify to the events happening? This isn't a made-up story. This isn't fake. This isn't pretend. This is a historically verifiable event. Atheists don't even question it anymore. This week I read a blog where an atheist was putting out the reality of a historical Jesus. They don't even argue it anymore. Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sin and for mine. And on the third day, he was resurrected. And he was seen by over 500 people. And if that's not enough, continue through the list. Then he appeared to James. Who's James? James is Jesus' little brother. The book of James is attributed to him. This is Jesus' little brother, his half brother. Mary had additional children, and this is his little brother, who, in fact, according to the Gospels, did not believe in Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. In fact, he and his brothers thought Jesus was crazy, and they went to collect him more than twice. The family thought, this guy's bringing us dishonor. Go get him, bring him back. James. Jesus shows up to James. We have no idea when James believed in Jesus. We have no idea when James gave his life to Christ. But we do know this. That James went from being a very skeptical little brother who went to collect his older brother on several occasions to becoming the bishop of Jerusalem who's ultimately thrown off the city wall and stoned for his belief in his brother. Do you start to see the historicity pouring out of your scriptures? This is an actual event that we have to reconcile ourselves with. And Paul had to reconcile himself with too. In verse 8, he says, Last of all is to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and worthy to be called an apostle because I have persecuted the church of God. And Paul gives his testimony. And if you've been around the church for any length of time, you've heard it. Paul was a disciple of Gamaliel. Paul likely would have become the next high priest. When Paul gives this all up to follow Jesus, do you think his family was happy about that? No, I bet his family was angry. I bet they were ferociously angry. Here, here's a man who would have been the highest person in their culture, carry the highest status, so far... That he starts killing Christians and dragging them in and imprisoning them. You know what the resurrection meant to Paul? Everything. Because Paul ultimately gave himself to it. Absolutely. He walked away from his life. Walked away from his job. And the rest is history. Another guy who died was killed believing in Jesus. Jesus. So what's the significance of this resurrection? Paul continues on in verse 13 by saying this, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, if it didn't happen, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Paul articulates to the Corinthians, if this thing didn't happen, if it isn't real, then this is all pointless. My preaching, your preaching, what you have to say about Jesus, pointless. Your faith and my faith is a total waste of time. A New Testament scholar, Yaroslav Pelikan, once said, if Christ is risen, then nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, then nothing else matters. Do you see how our whole faith hinges on this? This is everything to us as believers in Jesus Christ. It's absolutely everything. Paul continues in verse 15 and says, we're even found to be misrepresenting God if there's no resurrection. Because we testified about God that he, he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. That if there's no resurrection... We're misrepresenting God and we're all liars. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then our faith is pointless and we're still in our sin. See, the reality on this Sunday morning is we gather together is that the one thing we all have in common is our sin, From the largest of us to the smallest, from the oldest to the youngest, look around. There's not a person here whose life hasn't been marked by sin on one day or another. It's true for all of us. But you know, the hope we have as we gather as a church is not the hopelessness of sin. It's the reality of resurrection. It's that same reality that changed James. It's that same reality that changed Paul. The hope of resurrection is that I'm not guilty of my sin in Jesus anymore. That though I still struggle with sin, and friends, I'll tell you I do, Jesus is our great hope. And on the cross, he paid the price for my sin, all of it, every single drop. Everything I did yesterday and last year, and everything I did this afternoon, tomorrow, and next year was paid for at the cross. And that's huge and that's significant. But what really opens the door on it is the reality that three days later, having paid for my sin, that Jesus rose from the dead, that they went to the tomb and it was empty. He was gone. I love the video that we showed. It's always fascinating when you see these images of Jesus first and and afterwards, and to be honest, some of them make me tear up. But there's always that moment shows up where Jesus is standing there teaching, probably with Thomas, and he raises his hand and you see right through it, and you go, Ooh, there's a hole in his hand. How did he get a hole in wait, no, I know how he got a hole in his hand. See, because that's real. These things happened historically and they're what we put our hope in. Paul continues on in verse 19 and says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, meaning if there is no resurrection and this life is all we have, then we Christians are of all people most to be pitied. If there's no resurrection, we literally are the lamest people on the planet but in verse 20 but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead because in Christ there has been resurrection you are no longer left in your sin you're no longer left to pay the price for your sin because the tomb was open because it was empty Because of Christ, because of his resurrection, there's tremendous hope in Jesus Christ that without it we're left to be pitied. But with it, friends, there's tremendous hope that this morning if you've come here and you've gathered with us and you wonder if there could be hope, if you could be known, if you could be loved, if you could be appreciated, The answer in Jesus Christ is yes. Because of the resurrection. Because he still lives. And he still loves you. And he still pursues you. And he still wants you to yield your life unto him. So on this Easter morning, we have a great hope because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection this new life is possible. Because of the resurrection even the dirtiest sinner amongst us can be redeemed. Christ can be found in anyone's life. It doesn't matter how far gone you think you might be. Christ can be found in the biggest skeptic. It doesn't matter how far down the road you think you might be. See James, see Paul both guys that most of us would think were hopeless, and Christ absolutely redeemed them. That because of the resurrection, we're not just freed from our sin, but we're freed from our slavery to sin. Romans 6, 5 and 6 says this, for if we've been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And friends, in Jesus Christ, when you give yourself to him, when you choose faith, and you believe in the historical reality of his death for your sin, and the reality that he was raised from the dead, it changes the game. The scripture says you were crucified with him. Your sin has been paid for in full. When from the cross, Jesus says, Tetelestai, it is finished. It's an accounting term that means it is paid in full. You owe nothing else. It's totally covered because of his sin, because of his grace in the cross. We know their old self was crucified, And because of that, we are no longer slaves to sin. Friend, because of the resurrection, if you were enslaved to anything, alcoholism, drugs, you name it, pornography, adultery, think of any sin you struggle with, there's great hope because of the resurrection. It says in Ephesians that God Uses the same power that he raised his son from the dead, and he gives it for your life for you to live and walk and move and have your being. That if God can raise his son from the dead, he certainly can pull you out of whatever you struggle with and grant you hope. Because of the resurrection, we're free. And because of the resurrection, our faith has merit. Salvation through Christ is available to me. If my sins can be forgiven, if I can be granted hope, Second Corinthians 5:15, it says this: "And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake, died and was raised." That not only giving you hope, not, he's giving you a purpose. That if you wonder what this life is about, it's about him. That because of the resurrection, we not only have a hope, but we have purpose. It's given to us in the Son. Our sin is taken away, and we're given new life. And in verse 20, Paul says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And because of that, it means absolutely everything to us. The tomb was empty. Our Savior arose from the grave. So let's pause for a second and go back to the first two verses. Back to verses one and two. When Paul says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you're being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain." See, that last phrase is a dangerous one, friends. Unless you believed in vain, that leaves open the reality that as a bunch of people gathered in an Easter service on a Sunday morning in Moorhead, Minnesota, or frankly anywhere, you could walk around a bunch of Christians, you could walk in and out of circles. And having walked a walk or prayed a prayer or having been baptized and never actually believe in Jesus. Never actually cling to the gospel. Never actually take this truth and make it yours. That's why Paul says the gospel, I preach to you. See, hearing the word preached is not enough. Just hearing it preached doesn't do anything for you the gospel which you've received hearing it doesn't do anything for you in which you stand and what, by which you're being saved that's what does something for you you have to come to this place where you yield yourself to the gospel where you accept that what Christ did at the cross pays the price for your sin You cannot pay the price for your own sin. Nothing you could do would ever pay the price for your sin. So then you have to trust in Christ to pay the price for your sin. Because it's the only thing in all of eternity that could. You have to believe in it. You have to hold it. You have to make it your hope. You have to stand in it. See, this is the faith, friends, that holds you on really dark, hard nights when you've got nothing else. This is what Peter says to Jesus when disciples start fleeing him. Jesus, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. He's all we have. He's everything to us. He's absolutely everything. And you have to make it yours in a couple of minutes we're going to sing more and then we're going to have an opportunity to participate in communion and when we participate in communion it's the opportunity to pick up a piece of bread and and a cup and remember jesus and to claim what he did at the cross is yours See, that's part of the action of communion. You're claiming it. Might it just be fair to you and tell you that the scriptures are actually clear? If you've never claimed it for your own, don't participate. In fact, it tells you you're drinking condemnation onto yourself. If you've never believed, you've never made it yours. Don't take the bread because you've never claimed it as yours. And if that's a situation you find yourself in this morning, let me put this before you. This is Easter morning, when we celebrate that the tomb was empty, and that he was risen from the dead. And if 1,982 years ago, give or take, God could raise his son from the dead, he most assuredly could save you today. Most assuredly, you could put your faith in him today. Most assuredly, you could claim the sufficiency of the cross for your life and walk in the reality of his crucified self and walk in the reality of the resurrection by which You have new life. Today is a great day. It's a day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. A day that gives us hope and it gives us purpose and it tells all of us of the sufficiency of Christ. And today is a day that you can put your faith in him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the work of your son Jesus. We are thankful that he willingly went to a Roman cross and that he willingly paid the price for my sin and for the sin of everyone here. It's a free gift that's offered to us, God. We just must claim it. We've got to believe in it. We've got to put our hope in it. We've got to stand in it. That just having heard it is not sufficient. Being able to talk about it is not sufficient. But we gather today to celebrate that the cross could not hold you down. That death could not defeat you. That the sum total of all of our sin wasn't enough to keep you in the ground. And you overcame it. For that, Jesus, we worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.